Chapter 10 of Hester, A Story of Contemporary Life by Margaret O. Oliphant. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Anne Erickson, Toronto. Chapter 10, A Lover. It was about this time that Hester became aware of a circumstance the most important that could possibly happen in a young woman's life. There had been no opportunity for her to become acquainted with the emulations and rivalship of other girls. Girls there were none about the Vernon wreath, nor did they abound in the neighbourhood in the class from which alone her mother's visitors were chosen. Mrs. John, it has been said, belonged to a county family, a fact of which she was as proud as it is natural and becoming a woman should be. She did not altogether frown upon the few callers from the town, who thought it only their duty to Miss Vernon, the most hospitable entertainer in the neighbourhood, to take a little notice of the pensioners, as the poor ladies at the Vernonry were called, but she did not encourage these benevolent visitors. They are all ladies, and as good as any of us, Mrs. Redfern had been heard to say, who was the mayor's lady, and considered herself a leader of society, and it was a beautiful sight to see Mrs. John, in her old-fashioned dark room and simplest black gown, receiving with kind condescension and endeavouring to set at her ease this very fine lady, who considered herself to be paying the poor widow a quite undeserved honour. Mrs. John returned cards only in acknowledgment of Mrs. Redfern's visit, and there the acquaintance ended, so that Hester lost altogether the opportunity of knowing how ordinary girls looked and talked, and what was the object of their ambition. She had not even, which may surprise some people, come to any conclusion whatever in respect to her own personal appearance. Sometimes, indeed, it cannot be denied, she had looked up in the midst of a novel where all the young persons in whom the reader was supposed to take any interest were beautiful, and asked herself vaguely, with a blush, feeling ashamed of the question, whether she was pretty. But partly she was ashamed to give the time necessary to the solution of the problem, and partly she had not the data upon which to form her conclusions. There was a beautiful girl in Redborough in a humble position, upon whose claims everybody was agreed, but she was a queenly creature with dark hair and blue eyes and features of the most exquisite regularity, to whom Hester could not flatter herself that she bore the slightest resemblance. Nor was she like Ellen Vernon with her lovely fairness, her look of wax and confectionery. Hester was not ethereal at all. There was no smallness about her, though she was slim as became her age. The springing motion in her gait, the swift light step which never tired, were beautiful in their way, and so was the eager outlook in her eyes, which seemed to contract and expand according to the degree of interest with which outside subjects moved them, but all this rather as exponents of the mind within than as merely physical features. Her hair had never grown long, not much longer indeed than was just necessary to twist into the knot behind, which proved her to be grown up, and it remained full of curl and ready to break the smoothness of outline, than thought necessary, on the smallest provocation. Her complexion was very variable, sometimes radiant with flutters of sudden colour, sometimes relapsing into a rose-tinted whiteness, more white than pale. Her features were not much to brag of. It was the play of prompt feeling in her face, the interest, the indignation, the pity, perpetual change and vicissitude that made it attractive, and on this point, of course, Hester could not judge. 
seeing that her mouth was too large and her nose too short and her eyebrows too marked she concluded that she was not pretty and regretted it though in her circumstances it mattered very little her friends liked her just as well whether or not and she was never likely to produce the effect which the heroines in novels even though comparatively plain did produce so she decided with a little shame to think that she could have been disturbed about the matter that it was not worth going into it further all the same it is a pity for the sake of young readers that all the girls in novels with so very rare exceptions and jane eyre if not pretty probably was less plain than she had thought and certainly was agaçante which is much more effective should be beautiful and should have so much admiration and conquest the girls who read are apt to wonder how it is that they have not the same fortune hester for her part had a fine scorn of feminine victories in this sort they had never come within the possibilities of her lot she never went to balls nor met in society gangs of suitors contending for her smile she did not believe in such things and she thought she despised them it was in the very midst of this scepticism that she suddenly became aware of certain facts which as we have said were of the kind generally supposed to be most important in a young woman's life harry vernon had been for some time alone in the splendour of the white house ellen who had inflicted so deep a wound upon hester's inexperienced girlhood had married the previous summer and in the lack of young ladies worthy to swell her train on that occasion had selected hester as one of her bridesmaids hester had never forgiven her frivolous kinswoman for that first disenchantment of her youth but her mother upon whom her exclusion from society and from all opportunities of distinguishing herself there weighed heavily had insisted on the acceptance of the invitation and hester had figured accordingly in a white muslin frock much too simple to match the toilette of the other bridesmaids in the pageant greatly to her own disquiet she was the only vernon in it and thus had been specially put forward and ellen altogether unconscious of previous offence had exhausted herself in demonstrations of affection to her young relative it was she whom harry led out in the morning's procession and he had in the intervals of his duty to his guests come back again and again to her side hester all inexperienced and unknowing had paid little attention to these early indications she did not identify him with his sister's guilt towards her he was a weak good-natured genial fellow and no more if harry did anything wrong no doubt it was because of being led astray in himself he wished nothing but good to any one he was not clever he was steady and stolid and went through both work and pleasure without much discrimination as to which was which carrying on both in the same way when he began to come to the vernonry evening after evening hester paid little attention to him she would go out to walk with old captain morgan in the very face of the young visitor whose intentions all the community considered to be of such importance hester never thought of his intentions she had none herself in which he was anyhow involved she was perfectly friendly when they met but she did not care whether they ever met or not and repulsed him as much as steady indifference can repulse an obstinate and not very clear-sighted young man but this was not saying much harry knew as well as any one that his suit was a wonderful chance for his distant cousin that hester had no right to look for such good fortune as that of being the object of his affections 
he knew that he was bringing in his hand everything a girl need wish for and so as far as hester's course of action was concerned though he was much irritated by it sometimes he still felt that it was what she had a right to employ in the circumstances it drew a fellow on she was right to do what she could to obtain this so desirable consummation he could not find fault with her even when he was angry had she been too ready to meet him he felt that he would himself have despised what was so easily won but her coyness her apparent indifference her walking out to the old captain from her lover all helped to rivet his chains it was excellent policy and he took it as such it drew a fellow on and it would be impossible to describe the interest of the vernonry in this new development harry made his appearance first when they were all outside enjoying the beauty of the summer evening mr mildmay vernon occupying that bench in front of the veranda which was the most desirable place in the evening being just clear of the low sunbeams which came into your eyes through the trunks of the pines penetrating like golden arrows mrs john herself was watering the plants in the veranda which were a little exhausted by the long scorching day and wanted refreshment the miss vernon ridgeways were walking about with their long sashes extended and their large sleeves flying the one eagerly talking from a few paces behind her to the other their conversation was on the well-worn subject of some people who never knew their own place and was aimed at the tranquil gentleman on the bench who when he had secured his own comfort which was the first thing to be thought of rather prided himself upon never interfering with his neighbours when harry vernon appeared there was a universal stir the sisters made a little flight around him gazing at him i do believe it is harry is it harry they said mr mildmay vernon put down his paper in the midst of a paragraph and came forward with his most genial air i hope this is a visit only i hope there is nothing wrong he said wrong what should be wrong said harry turning his fair countenance wonderingly upon the group it's a lovely evening and i wanted a walk he added with a little reddening of that too fair face and besides i've got a message from ellen to mrs john dear ellen how is ellen when is she coming home cried miss matilda when you write to her give her our love but i suppose she is too happy to care about anybody's love save one person's marriage will improve ellen marriage will steady her she used to be a little forgetful perhaps ah uh, marriage will do her a great deal of good she had everything too much her own way but she is missed it would be pretty to see her again forgetting said mr mildmay that she had ever set eyes on you before ah uh, dear ellen we should not have known her without her little ways now harry was fond of his sister i'll thank you to leave ellen alone he said brusquely i dare say we've all got our little ways i had something to say to mrs john if you'll let me pass please politeness is characteristic of our family said miss matilda drawing her skirts closely round her and standing ostentatiously though she was not very near him out of his way mrs john stood looking on in the veranda with the watering-can in her hand not hearing much of what they said but feeling that it was uncivil and putting on a little deprecating anxious smile come in she said come in the parlour i think is almost cooler than the garden after this hot day shall i make you a cup of tea these pensioners of aunt catherine's are odious people said harry it was you and hester i came to see 
"'You must not speak of them so they would not like it,' said Mrs. John, not thinking that she herself might be spoken of in the same way, though rather pleased at the bottom of her heart that Harry should make a distinction between them. He threw himself down in a chair which creaked under his weight and looked very large and mannish in the little feminine room, rather, indeed, it must be allowed, out of place there. "'I wonder how you can get on in such a pokey little place,' he said. "'I should like to see you in handsome big rooms. It would seem much more natural.' Mrs. John smiled again, a deprecating, half-apologetic smile. "'Oh, I'm very glad to be here. I did not expect ever to have to live in such a poor place when I married. It is true, but people's minds change with their circumstances. I am glad to have it.' "'You oughtn't to—you should have been provided for in a different way.' "'Ah, Hester, I'm so glad to see you,' Harry said, rising with some commotion to his feet. He took Hester's hand and held it for a moment. "'I thought I'd come and tell you about Ellen,' he said with a blush. "'Hester,' said her mother, giving her a little meaning look, of which she did not understand the signification, "'you must give Mr. Harry a cup of tea.' and there he sat to her great oppression for an hour at least he did not even tell them about ellen he said nothing in particular nothing which it was necessary to say hester who had intended to go out with her old captain felt herself bound by politeness and her mother's warning looks she did not know what these looks meant but they held her fast there was not very much conversation he said a few things over and over which made it difficult to change the subject and it was mostly Mrs. John who replied, and who rather liked also to repeat the same sentiment. Esther poured out the tea, and when the moment came for that, lighted the candles, and sat down in the background and took her work. She was not very fond of work, but it was better than doing nothing at all. When she took that seat which was beyond his point of vision, Harry turned his chair round so as to face her, and took up one of the candles and arranged it for her that she might see to work. "'You should have a lamp,' he said. "'I have a nice little lamp at home, just the thing for you. "'You must let me send it.' "'What a long time he sat, and how anxious he was to make himself agreeable. "'After that he came three or four times in succession. "'Mrs. John began to look for him, brightening up as the hour of his visit approached, "'and the neighbours kept up a watch which it was impossible to mistake. "'If he comes tonight, I shall know what to think,' Miss Matilda said. But when he came that night, he met Hester at the gate in her outdoor apparel. Harry's countenance fell. "'Oh, you are surely not going out,' he said. "'Not just when I come. You couldn't be so unkind.' "'I have been unkind to Captain Morgan very often,' said Hester. "'I must not neglect him tonight.' And she passed him quickly with a little bow and smile. It made Harry very angry, but still he felt that it drew a fellow on. On one of these occasions, when Hester eluded him in this way, Harry spoke his mind to Mrs. John. "'I'm very lonely up there by myself,' he said, "'and I have nobody to please but myself. Ellen used to interfere and keep me in order, as she said, but now she's got somebody else to look after. I've thought a great deal of Hester for years back, that time when we came to see you first, you know, when Ellen made so many advances and forgot all about them. That was her way.' She's not a bad sort when you get safe hold of her, but it's her way. Well, from that time I've thought of Hester, though I never liked to say a word as long as Ellen was there. Oh, Mr. Harry, said Mrs. John, who was fluttered and flattered as if a proposal were being made to herself. She was only a child in those days. 
I know, but she isn't a child now. If she'll have me, and I can't see why she shouldn't have me, we might all make each other very comfortable. I'm not frightened of a mother-in-law, as so many fellows are. I believe that's all bosh. I shouldn't wish to part you more than for the honeymoon, you know. There is plenty of room for you in the White House, and it would be always nice for her to have you there when I happen to be engaged. I think we should hit it off very well together. And as for money, I know she has no money. I should never think twice about that. Of course, it would be to my own advantage to make as good settlements as possible, which is always a good thing in business when one never knows what may happen. We might have to consult Aunt Catherine just at first, for she always keeps a hold on the funds. And there's Hester to consult. That is the most important, said Mrs. John. To be sure, that's the most important. But I can't see why she should object, said Harry. Why, she has never seen anyone, has she? I am the only man that has paid any attention to her. At Ellen's wedding there were one or two, but that was only once in a way. I don't say she likes me, but she can't like anyone else, can she? For she has never seen anybody. Not that I know of, said Mrs. John. But, Mr. Harry, girls are so fanciful. You cannot be sure of them in that way. They may have some ideal in their heads, though they have never met anyone. Eh? said Harry, making a large mouthful of the word and opening wide those blue eyes of his with the light lashes. And indeed, he did not know much about that sort of thing. He returned to the question without paying any attention to this strange piece of nonsense. There is nobody about but the old gentleman and Ned at Aunt Catherine's. Sometimes I felt a little suspicious of Ned. Does he come and see you often? He is a great fellow for books and that sort of thing. Mr. Edward Vernon, said Mrs. John a little stiffly, never comes here. Hester, I believe, has met him at the Grange or elsewhere, but he never comes here. I scarcely know him, neither, of course, does she. Then, said Harry, taking no notice of the offence in her tone, but bringing down his hand vehemently upon his knee, if it isn't Ned, there is no one she can have seen, and the field is all clear for me. That is very true, said Hester's mother, but her tone was doubtful. At the same time, she continued, perhaps it would be well to let me talk to her a little first, Mr. Harry, just to see before you said anything. If she doesn't want to have me, I don't wish to force her to have me, said Harry, his pride taking alarm. Force? Oh, Mr. Harry, do you think I would force my child? And indeed I couldn't, cried Mrs. John, shaking her head. She is far, far stronger than I. She would be the cleverest of us all, said Harry admiringly. I believe she is as clever as Aunt Catherine. I dare say she might even find out dodges in the bank like Aunt Catherine did. Perhaps on the whole it would be better if you would sound her a bit, eh, and find out what she's up to. What she thinks of me, for instance, said Harry, nodding half with modesty, half with vanity. Yes, I should like that. I should like to be pretty sure before I committed myself. A man doesn't like to make a fool of himself for nothing the young man said. Mrs. John thought this was quite natural, and indeed all her feelings were enlisted on Harry's side, who expressed himself so beautifully. What better could happen to Hester than to be thus uplifted to the heights of luxury and wealth, the White House, and everything else that heart could desire, with a nice husband, so good-looking, so tall, so fair, and so anxious to be kind to her mother? Her imagination, not her strong point on ordinary occasions, was strong enough on this to jump at all the advantages of the match with a rapidity which would not have disgraced Hester herself. 
To see her child the mistress of the white house was the very height of Mrs. John's ambition. She did not feel that the world held anything more desirable. Her mind made a hurried rush through the rooms, all so familiar to her, and which Harry no doubt would remodel in preparation for his bride. With what pride and happiness would she see her child at the head of the table, where she herself had once sat? It would be a return more triumphant than any return in her own person. And yet she would be there too, the happy spectator, the witness of it all. She saw in her mind's eye the wedding, the beautiful clothes, the phaeton, and the high-stepping horses, and perhaps a pony carriage which Hester herself would drive. All this in a moment while Harry was telling her that he would like to be pretty sure before he committed himself. Perhaps it was not a lofty sentiment, but she felt it to be quite natural. A man with so much to bestow had a right to see his way before him, and then for Hester's own sake it was far better that she should not be taken by surprise. She was a perverse girl, and if the young man walked straight up to her without warning and asked her to marry him, the chances were that she would refuse. That was not a risk to be run when so much was at stake. "'If you will leave it in my hands, I think you will have no cause to regret it,' she said, nodding her head at him with the softest maternal smile. "'You may be sure you will have my good wishes.' They were both quite affected when he took his leave. "'I feel sure we should hit it off together,' Harry said, warmly grasping her hand, and the water stood in her eyes. She could almost have given him a kiss as he stood before her, a little flushed and agitated with his self-revelation. Indeed, she would have done so, but for that doubt about Hester. What would Hester say? That was the one point upon which doubt existed, and unfortunately it was the most important of all. There could not be the least uncertainty as to the many advantages of the match. Money, comfort, good position, good connection, everything that can be wished for in marriage, and with no personal defects to be glossed over by these advantages. But a fine young man, a husband any girl might be proud of. Elation and gladness filled Mrs. John's heart when she contemplated that side of the question. But when she turned to the other, a chill came over her, a cloud that swallowed up the sunshine. What would Hester say? Oh, the perverseness of girls that never know what is good for them. If it had been somebody quite ineligible, somebody without a penny, the chances were that Hester would have had no doubt on the subject. Mrs. John could not remain still after this momentous conversation. She went from one window to another, looking out, watching for her daughter's return. She had been vexed that Hester should have been so uncivil as to go away for no better reason than to walk with old Captain Morgan when Harry was coming. But she felt now that this contradictoriness on the girl's part had been providential. How full her head was with thoughts and plans how to speak and what to say, with artful approaches to the subject and innocent wiles by which to divert all suspicion and lead Hester unawares towards that goal. She trotted upstairs and down, from one window to another, framing dialogue after dialogue in her mind. She was astonished by her own powers as she did so. If she ever had been so clever in reality as she was in this sudden crisis of imagination, she felt that it might have made a difference in her whole life. And one thing Mrs. John had the wisdom and goodness to do in the midst of her excitement, she kept within her own house, and did not so much as venture down to the veranda, where she might have been seen from outside and pounced upon by the eager watchers, 
brimful of curiosity who wanted to know what it all meant. Miss Matilda Vernon Ridgeway, as has been intimated, had been conscious of an internal admonition that something critical, something decisive, something throwing a distinct light upon the intentions of young Harry would happen this night. And Mrs. John knew herself and was aware that she never would be able to stand against the questioning of these curious spectators. Her only safety was in keeping out of their way. Thus, not only her imagination, but her moral faculties, her power of self-control and self-denial, were strengthened by the occurrences of this momentous evening. She had not felt so important before since Hester was born. End of chapter 10